I've got Acts 2, 42 through 47 in English Standard Version. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's take a minute to think about what a miracle the church is. Not just the church today, the church historically. Think about this. It was a spiritual miracle that day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit comes down, divides on the heads of the apostles, and they begin speaking in all the different tongues of the people who were represented there. God had decided this was the time to get the message out. It was a numerical miracle because you only had 11 out of 12 disciples that actually made it. And from them, over the course of 300 years, you went from 11 to half the Roman Empire is Christian. At the time of Constantine, you have 30 million Christians. An amazing numerical miracle, so much so that you would have to look back And even if you're not a Christian, you have to say, something incredible happened then. History has never been the same from the moment of Pentecost until now. The church, against all odds, against all human foibles, against the powers of sin, against the powers of darkness, has become the institution in the history of the world. It's an amazing miracle that we take for granted that we are here. In a previously unknown corner of the world, almost all of us Gentiles, almost all of us removed in history from ever knowing about a man who lived in Israel 2,000 years ago if it weren't for the miracle of God's Spirit. It was even more than that, though, because there's a greater miracle that takes place in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people are added to the church in one day, and the next thing we find out is they're getting along. (laughs) They're united with one another. They're sharing with one another. They're doing all the kinds of things that you long for in a community. They don't know each other. They're not from the same race or socioeconomic background. They're not from the same background religion. They're not from the same place on the planet. And all of a sudden, this group of people is loving each other. They're being transformed. They're sharing. They're giving of what they have. They're meeting together. They're surrounding each other. They're taking care of one another. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that? And this passage in Acts, the greatest miracle of this passage is there's a new kind of community that's been created. And it's a kind of community that every one of us, deep in our soul, longs to be a part of. And there's a reason for this. You were actually made to be a part of a group of people like what we just read about in Acts chapter 2. How do we know this is true? Well, first of all, you were made for this kind of community because it's the kind of community that God has 
within himself. Part of what it means to be created in the image of God means to find your satisfaction in this kind of fellowship and community. And the other one is God designed the church to be a new kind of community that would be a beacon to the world of what it looks like to be transformed back into fellowship with one another. Like a big cosmic family reunion where everybody gets along and everyone loves each other. So as we look at this passage this morning, here's the main thought I want to get across. The church is not a building. The church is not just an institution. The church isn't just a group of people. The church is a kind of community that God has designed. What God is doing through the church is creating a kind of relationship, a manner of being together, a way of sharing with one another around the central event of Jesus Christ that brings us to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Since we have been justified, we've been made right with God through faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. We have been put at rest in the favor of God. The church is a certain kind of community that reflects God's design for how we relate to each other. So if you look at this passage, there's one word that really stands out that defines what kind of community this is. And it's in the first line of what we just read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to relationship, to community. See, this word is the word that you can use to just mean common in the Greek. It just means having things in common. But as you see in this paragraph, it's more than just having things in common. It's having a heart in common. It's giving of yourself in such a way that you have everything in common with the people that you're surrounded by. This word koinonia is different than the way we use the word fellowship. Fellowship is such a churchy word. When you say, we had a great time of fellowship, you would never say that just in your normal everyday life. You would only say that referring to a church thing. We had a great time of fellowship. Okay, you had a Bible study. We had a great time of fellowship. We met at Starbucks over coffee and talked about church things. We've watered down this word fellowship to mean something like technical, something kind of jargony about the church. The word koinonia means the deepest desires of who you are satisfied in a community of people, really in a community with God. The Bible uses this word all over the place. And if you go back to the creation, the root word koinonia refers to not our fellowship with each other, but God's fellowship with himself. God's fellowship with himself. Now, what do we mean when we say that? How can you have fellowship with yourself? So for a minute, let's think about God before he created the world. What do we know about God pre-existing Genesis 1, pre-existing us being here? What do we know about God? He was in perfect, content fellowship with himself for all eternity. See, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exist in a perfect kind of community. The Father loves the Son wholly and completely. And the Son loves the Father. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And God was content. He needed nothing. He was joyful, perfectly loving, perfectly powerful before he ever decided to create anything. See, sometimes we think, why did God create the world? And we have this very human-centered view. Well, to have us, of course. What would the world be without us? But when you look at the Bible, it's actually the reverse. He created us so that he could share the perfect relationship and fellowship that he has with us. The goal of our life is to be invited into 
the relationship that God has always had. It's, Jonathan Edwards put it this way, it's no fault of a fountain that it tends to overflow. That's God's creative act. He didn't need us, but he wanted us. And more than that, he wanted us to have what he has in himself. He wanted us to know what it's like to be perfectly loved and perfectly known. To be intimate without fear of what might happen to us. To be approached, to be welcomed, but also to be transformed. To be loved and to be challenged is what it's like to be invited into the life of God. And so before all creation, the model for the church existed in what God had without anyone else. You know, one of the writers that really understands this and talks about it all the time in the New Testament is the Apostle John. Think about the transformation the Apostle John went through. When we first meet John in the Gospels, he and his brother James are known as the sons of thunder. And this was not a compliment, okay? They had an anger problem. James and John are the guys that when they go preach somewhere and it doesn't go that well, they're walking out of town and they're like, you want us to call down fire on those guys? Because we'll do it. And Jesus is like, whoa, that's not the way we do things in the kingdom. And so all of a sudden, you go from two guys that have anger issues, two guys that don't ever seem to quite get what Jesus is talking about and what he's doing, to the apostle of love. You know, in the Gospel of John, John never refers to himself by name. And most people think this is because he wants to highlight John the Baptist. You know, there's a lot of Johns in the ancient world. If you read the Gospels, like 10% of the men were named John. And so what John is doing is he's highlighting the first witness, John the Baptist, and then he's subtly showing you the transformation that takes place in another person, himself, who he always refers to as the apostle that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. And in fact, it was the love that Jesus had for John that transformed him from a son of thunder to the apostle of love. That's what we know him as because in 1 John, he talks all about the love of God. And here's what he says. This is why he wrote his letter in 1 John. Now, we have written about what we have seen and heard and we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. This is this word koinonia. So that you may have this kind of relationship with us. And indeed, and here's the kind of relationship it is. Our fellowship, our koinonia is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing to you, he says, to invite you into this fellowship. Why? So that your joy might be complete. So that your joy might be full and overflowing. The only way to everlasting joy is to be invited into the life of God through his Son, Jesus. That's the kind of community the church is. Invited into what God has always had and will always have that he shared with us. It's like a campfire. It's, the church is like people gathering around a big campfire. The, the fire has heat in itself. When the fire is burning, it doesn't need anything else to give it heat. It is producing heat on its own. But when you come near the campfire, you become warm as long as you stay near the campfire. But the further you get away, you don't produce the same amount of heat in yourself. The fire stays hot, but you begin to get cold. And what the church is, is an invitation to everyone, come stand around this fire. This is the source of warmth. This is the source of fulfillment. This is the source of joy. This is the source of your relational desires and longings being fulfilled around this fire, this self-sustaining heat 
that warms all of us. We were made for this kind of fellowship, but it's really hard to find. And there's going to be several times as we look at this passage this morning where you're thinking, that sounds great ideally, but could that ever possibly be true in the world? Could we ever really have this kind of community in our church, in our world, in the churches around, in all the cities that we have people here from this morning? Could it be true in those churches that we have this kind of community? Because here's, here's what happens. Eugene Peterson described this so well when he was talking about Pharisees. So here's the definition of a Pharisee. You move into this house that has a huge window, and behind it is this picturesque mountain view. I mean, the most amazing view you've ever seen. The colors are awesome. The majesty is awesome. But what happens is there's a big rainstorm, and you get streaks all over the window. So you've got to go outside, and you've got to clean the window. And then you have family over, and all the little kids put their hands and their noses and their tongues all over it, and pretty soon you can't see through the bottom third of the window. So you've got to go get Windex, and you've got to clean it. And then you have something else happen, so you actually just start leaving the bucket over there by the window. And then you move the ladder over there, and then you have scaffolding on the outside to keep birds and rain from getting to it. And before you know it, you have this perfectly curated window, but you haven't looked at it in years. You haven't looked at the view. You've been disconnected from what it was built to display. And Peterson says, if that's you, you've become a Pharisee. See, the problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they didn't have the right priorities. It's that they had their priorities out of order. It's that they were hypocrites, that they said one thing ideally, but then they did something else. It's that they became too focused on keeping the window clean, but forgetting that the window is supposed to point you to something else. And this is the problem with churches who get disconnected from their mission. We're going to read here a pretty clear mission for the church. Here are the things the apostles devoted themselves to. And we as a church are a giant window pointing to those things, if indeed we point to them. But it's easier, instead of pointing to those things, it's easier to work on the window instead of looking through the window to see the fellowship of God. So how do we as a church do this? Well, it says in the beginning of this passage, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves. They didn't just found with these ideals. They didn't just have a really killer mission statement. They continually came back to center themselves on these principles. If you want this kind of community in your church, here's what you have to devote yourself to. If we want to have this kind of community in our church, here's what we are going to devote ourselves to. There's four things. We're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to devote ourselves to each other in the fellowship. We're going to devote ourselves to breaking bread, both in the church in communion and out of the church in hospitality. And we are going to devote ourselves to prayer. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer. So if we want to create the kind of community they had, This is what we've got to devote ourselves to. So the first thing they say is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, how do we translate that to today? The apostles' teaching, if you look at it, is different than what we think of as apostles' teaching today. Because when you look at what the apostles were doing, they were talking about the Old Testament all the time. Peter's sermon right before this, what does he do? It's basically an explanation of the prophecy that God gave all the way back in the time of Joel. What the prophets were, what the, what the New Testament apostles were doing is looking backwards to what God had been saying for thousands of years. 
And their teaching is distilled in the 27 books that we call the New Testament in our Bible. And what the New Testament is, is a witness to the Old Testament that we have in our Bible. And so what we're doing when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching is the Old and New Testaments of our Bible. And there's a reason we devote ourselves to this. Not just because there were a bunch of really clever guys that wrote some really inspirational stuff. We devote ourselves to it because it is the Word of God. These apostles, if you see them preaching in the book of Acts, they're pointing to the fact that God said these things. Now, he said them through Isaiah, and he said them through David, he said them through Jeremiah, but we really believe deep down these are God's words. God has disclosed himself to us. So we're going to follow what he says. See, we believe that the Bible is the word of God from beginning to end. Every word of the Bible is helpful and useful and God-breathed for us to know what does God say we should do to have perfect communion with him. So we don't read the Bible to be legalists. We don't read the Bible because we have some arbitrary moral things that may or may not be in style at the time. We read the Bible because it's the way that God said you were designed to have that kind of community. Do you want to have the wholeness of the relationships that they had in Acts? Then look and see what God's word says and do it. It really sounds simple, but that's the path. We follow what God says because he designed us. Right? It's not that God issues a bunch of rules and just so happens that some of them lead to health and wealth and prosperity and all the things we want in life. It's that God designed you to run a certain way and then he's provided the fuel in his word. And once you start to put that into action, you realize it's the exact way God designed for his church to operate. So in practice, when, when you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, you say, okay, when we have a dispute, what does God's word say? When we have a question, when we have something we're praying about doing, when we have something come up, we go and we say our base, our foundation is what the Bible says. These are God's words. These are the apostles' teaching. We're continuing something we didn't start, therefore we don't have the authority to change it. We're continuing something that's been in thousands of years of progress that we are taking the torch and passing it on to the next generation of Christians. So we look at the apostles' teaching, we look at the Bible, and we say, we are a Bible-centered church. We are a Word of God-centered church. Now, the other thing we learn about this is they were a learning church. The early, the early Christians were learners. Notice what they're doing. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they're sharing things in common, but day by day they're meeting in the temple together, they're breaking bread in their homes together, they're discussing the word of God, they're learning. Think about the massive project they had of saying, how do we understand everything God's done in light of his son Jesus? How do we understand what the temple means, what the Israelites mean, what sacrifices mean, what creation means around the death and resurrection of the Son of God? They were a learning church. They wanted to figure out how their faith in, affected everything in their life. And they were doing exactly what Jesus did. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness? The devil comes to him, begins to tempt him, and Jesus at that point could have snapped his fingers and the devil would have fled. He honestly could have just wished the devil out of existence if he wanted to, but what did he do to confront temptation? He quoted scripture. And not even like the coffee cup verses, not even like the big stuff, he quoted the book of Deuteronomy to the devil. 
See, what we do is exactly what the apostles were doing, exactly what Jesus was doing. We rely on the Word of God to do the work of God. We are a Bible-centered, learning church. Have you ever wondered why we have a sermon every week? It's okay to say yes. I wonder that sometimes. Why do we have a sermon every week? There's like no other institution that still does this. Everything you read is like, well, we're not a, a lecture-centered world anymore. We're a dialogue-centered world. And it actually, people learn better in other learning environments. A 40-minute lecture is not the way to change people. We don't do a sermon because it's practical, although I think it is. We do a sermon because we're commanded to. God says, when you gather together, open up my word and explain it and then do it. That's what we're doing in the sermon. Every week, we are proclaiming the word of God. We're hearing from him. You don't want to just hear from me. I'm not clever enough, smart enough, capable enough. You want to hear what does God say and how does it apply to us. So the reason we gather and we do Bible studies, we do sermons, we do devotionals, we memorize scripture is because we, like them, have got to be a Bible-centered church. We've got to be a learning church. We've got to be a word of God church. Now, they also devoted themselves to fellowship. They weren't just a Bible-centered church. They were a loving church. They were a loving church. And I just want to point out that these always can coexist. You can be all Bible and all love at the same time and not have to sacrifice on either of them. But it's very difficult. See, they were a loving church because they decided that they were going to put the relationships they had with one another in the top priority. They believe that if you do what God says, it will lead you to give of yourself to other people in a way that is radical to the outside world. It will lead you to do things, to love your neighbor as yourself in ways that are not in your own quote-unquote best interest. But they're in God's best interest, and therefore, they're ultimately in your best interest. See, the way that I think about our move, Laura and I's move to Carlton Landing fits so well with this vision of what a church is. It is a community who is a loving community. See, one of the things that had really been stirring in my soul over the last few years is you can do all kinds of programs in a church and never see people grow. It's, it's possible. You can gather people together, you can do all the right things, you can say the right things, you can preach great sermons, and people come week after week after week, and their lives never change. And I can't tell you how frustrating it is when you're in a spot where you're seeing this, you're pouring yourself into it, and you're realizing nothing is happening. See, this church, one of the characteristics of this church in verse 43, awe came upon every soul about what God was doing in their midst. Don't you want to be in a church where people are in awe of what God is doing? But sadly, I have been in ministries before of my own doing where there was no awe. And I thought, why is that? Why is it that you can do all these things and nothing seems to take root, nothing seems to happen? I'll give you one reason. It's because the church is supposed to take place in relationships. The, the, the transformation that you want in your life cannot happen if you only see people in a church context when you can manage what they see of your life. You will never change if you live in that environment. And in fact, if you only see people for one hour a week and you sing together and you say something on the way in and you say goodbye on the way out and you hear a great sermon and then you go back to a different community of people who aren't clued into the same things and don't get to see you in that context and don't get to use your gifts, your life will never change. The key to life change is being in close relationships with people where you can't manage what they see all the time. 
And in the age of social media, we have become expert curators of our own external life. We are terrified to encounter people when they don't get to see our best, when they don't get to see us with a little bit of preparation. What you need for your life to change is for people who love you enough and are around you enough to see you at all of your moments and still love you and walk with you. That's the key. So when Laura and I were talking about, well, do we want to go to Carlton Landing? We want to go to Carlton Landing Community Church. Here was the selling point. It's a unique church in so many different ways. We talked about that some last week. We have people from all over the region, people from all over the denominational spectrum in this church. But here's what we do have, a community that is already focused on relationships. This is a place you come because you want to be around people. You want to be around your family. You want to make new friends. You want to be in a place where you are organized to cross paths with people that you didn't know before. This is a place that has a relational mesh that you can barely find anywhere else. And so we thought, what would it be like to go to a place that already has that relational map? Everybody already sees each other all the time, and you do church in the middle of that? That's exactly what they were doing in Acts chapter 2. You're around people whether you like it or not. You have people that are sticking with you whether you want them or not. You have people that will love you at your best and your worst. And whether you come here on the weekends or you're here full time, it is a place that is geared to be a loving community. That's the seedbed of growth in your life. Your life will grow. Your life will transform by the Spirit when you lock arms with other believers who are committed to more than an hour a week, to more than just the good times, to more than just the Facebook you. They are committed to the real you. That's how your life changes. And what they were doing in Acts is they were around each other, they were connected to each other in ways that we have never experienced. Because after Acts chapter 2, after you get this ideal picture, you know what begins to start? Persecution. Persecution in the church. And what happens? That relational mesh gets stronger and stronger and stronger. They had devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to be a loving church. You know, part of that is they had devoted themselves to being a generous church. They were giving of everything they had to those who had need. Now, you get some really wonky stuff in the commentaries where they're like, see, this is, a, this is like a proto-socialist community here. They're sharing everything in common. They have all their possessions. That's clearly not true because they're meeting in their houses day by day. They have houses. They have possessions. But here's what. They're not tied to those beyond the call of God. They see that everything in their life has been given for this mission, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Go into all the earth. This is what the church was born out of. Go into all the earth preach the gospel, baptize people, teach them to obey Jesus. That's priority number one. The greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They consider those things took priority over everything else. So when you organize your life that way, you become generous because you see all of your possessions, your time, your gifts, your talents as vehicles to accomplish what God is doing in your community. So what they did was they had things in common, they were selling possessions and belongings, distributing to all as any had need, using wisdom, working together, seeing what they had as a gift from God to bless and further the mission that he was doing. Part of being a loving community means being generous, but sometimes it's easy to be generous with your stuff and with your money and with your time and not be generous with yourself. 
See, because they were also hospitable. Generosity is like the external version, and hospitality is the internal version. Generosity is giving of things, and hospitality is giving of yourself. They were opening their homes, spending time together, giving of themselves to each other. And because they devoted themselves to fellowship, they became a loving church. Here's number three. They, they were a worshiping church. They're a Bible-centered church. They're a loving church. They're a worshiping church. Now, look at the beginning of this sentence. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Indulge me here for a minute in a little bit of an English observation. This phrase right here has an article in front of it. So it's not just breaking of bread. It's the breaking of bread, right? It's not just Ohio State University. It's the Ohio State University. It really adds something to it when you say that. Most people think that this article means the breaking of bread is what we do when we celebrate communion. Breaking bread is what you do in your homes, and you're having meals together, but the breaking of bread throughout the book of Acts often refers to celebrating communion together. The reason we know that is because they're meeting together in the temple daily, they're meeting together, they're celebrating, they're worshiping, having worship services together, and they're breaking bread in their homes. So whether it's in church or out there in homes, they are worshiping God together. They're organizing their life around the work of God. Now what they used to do, I would love for us to do this at some point, they didn't just celebrate communion like we do with these little to-go communion cups. I mean, these are great for convenience, but that's not what they were doing. They were sharing a meal together, and they called them agape feasts. And agape means the kind of love that God has for us. They would share these feasts together where they would come and they would eat and they would talk and they would spend time with each other. And any of you guys that were here for our Monday Thursday service last year, it's one of my favorite things we've ever done because what we did was we slowed communion down and we ate and we talked together. That's what communion is. Communion for us is a mini meal, like a very mini meal. It's not very good tasting, but it's a symbol of the meal that we'll have with God in eternity. It's a reminder that part of our life together is feasting and eating together. Worshiping together means coming and celebrating what God is doing with a sermon, with worship, sharing communion together, baptism, sending us out with a benediction. We talked in Psalm 113 several weeks ago about all the elements of worship. All of those things point us back to community. So if you come to church and you're instinct is to go through the motions, just you and God, and then leave, you're missing out on the richest part of what worshiping means, celebrating and reinforcing this kind of community together. So what's the point of a worship service? To enjoy God together. What's the point of programs? To have fellowship with God and each other. Why do we have certain things in the church that we'll do for a season and then we get rid of them? We might have a great program for a while and, it's, and it suits a need and then we do something else because our top priority is creating this kind of fellowship. We devoted ourselves to worshiping God in community. Here's the last thing. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayers, plural, which I think is another interesting part of this text. Continuous, ongoing, asking God, what should we be doing? What are you doing? How can we commune 
with you? How can we serve one another? How can we gather around and lay hands on those who are sick? If you've been prayed for that way, or our elders in the room know, one of the most special times as a church is when somebody says, I am at the very end, I need you to gather and pray. In James 5 where it says, if anybody is sick, if anybody is joyful, if anybody needs to be healed, gather the elders, get together, ask God that he might heal them, that he might forgive them, that he might raise them up. It's a gift to our body to pray. Because you know what happens when you pray for each other? It's very hard to stay mad at each other. It's very hard not to want the best for somebody that you're praying for. It's very hard to be out of fellowship with somebody that you're continuously praying for. It's very hard to continue in sin when you are praying constantly for God's will in your life. It's very hard to stay out of God's will for you for long if you're continually praying and you have people around you who are praying and holding you accountable to what God has in your life. So they devoted themselves to these things and we're devoting ourselves to these things because we want to have this kind of community. We want to be in fellowship with God and with each other at such a level that we enjoy what God created us to enjoy. But here's the kicker. There's one phrase in here that we can't miss. They all came upon every soul, and all who believed were together, having all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings day by day. They were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They had a common purpose seeing people come to know Christ. They had a common purpose. In fact, the word that's used here for common purpose is the word same desire. They had the same desire. So not only were they devoting themselves to these things, they were devoting themselves to an attitude, to a mindset, to a heart condition. We will value everything less than we value the work of God in bringing sinners home and turning us into the image of Christ. It's our top priority. We'll put everything below that. If we have the same purpose, the same mind, the same heartbeat, we too can have the community that they're talking about here. I love the end of this paragraph, and this is where I'll end. The Lord was adding to their number daily. Because why wouldn't he? If you had this and you were observing it, why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? Sometimes in today's world, our best apologetic, our best way to reach somebody who doesn't know God is to model what it looks like to have a community of people who love God like this. Sometimes the most attractive thing to somebody who's longing to have community, sometimes the most compelling thing to someone who thinks it can never be quite like this is to see it actually play out in your life. What we do here as a community is evidence of what God has done in us to the world looking on. And God added to their number daily. Why wouldn't he add to this kind of community? This morning we're celebrating communion as a reminder of what this is, a common bond around the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the way we do communion here is when I pray and uh, the band comes back up, we'll take the lids off of here and you'll come and receive communion and go back to your seat. It's just a reminder to us getting out of our seat coming that when we worship, we come to God and we take from his table our sustenance, his body which is broken for us, the bread of life that gives us life, the blood that was shed for us that's a new covenant of life for us. So we come and take these and then we go back to our seats and we wait a minute 
so that we can all take them together. You know, in 1 Corinthians it says, we all eat from one loaf. We all drink from one cup. We don't technically do that uh, because of COVID. But we do symbolically say, we, when we come to the table, are one. We are not separated. We are not distinct. We are all Christians. We're all children of God. So as I pray for us, come forward, take the communion elements back to your seat, and then I'll come back up and we'll take them together. Father, we praise you that you have created something that no person could ever have created. Father, that you have worked something in our midst that we could never have designed or planned or strategized. Father, that you're creating a family that we've always longed to be a part of, and we ask you, Lord, that you would do it in our midst. Father, by your Spirit, would you do the miracle of bringing us together, united in the same purpose around your Word and around worship and around loving each other and around praying Father, would you be the center of our community together? God, we ask like you did then that you would do it now, that you would add people who have a longing to be loved the way you love them. Father, people who need a firm foundation of truth. Father, people who are looking to be a part of something. Lord, would you bring people home into your family? Father, would you help us to have a single-minded focus and purpose in what we do here, to glorify you, to enjoy you, to be present with you, and that that would spill over into our families and our friends and our coworkers, that they would see a kind of relationship that only you can bring about. Father, do this by your spirit, whatever it takes. In Jesus' name we pray.